it's good to be back among friends. Thank God for this meeting. We've made some wonderful memories in this meeting through the years, and we love Pastor Ricky Gravely, don't you? I believe God sent him to the kingdom for such a time as this, and I don't know of another man that's preaching stronger and greater for doctrine than Brother Ricky Gravely. And I appreciate everything that he said this morning. I agree with everything that he said. And then, uh, uh, then also, uh, what's that preacher preached after you? I'm Brother Brown. I'm sorry, I went to college with him. Couldn't remember his name. Thank God the Lord knows his name. Amen. And I appreciate everything that has been said up to this point, especially when he called that little boy up to help him for that illustration. That was good. You know you're in an independent Baptist camp meeting when you say, Malachi, come help me, and 15 preacher's kids start making their way to the front of the auditorium, amen. Good preaching today, thank God for it. We'll be in Luke chapter number 21 this morning, Luke chapter number 21, and we'll be taking one passage of Scripture out of this chapter and using it for the Lord's message this morning, Luke chapter number 21. We'll be reading from verse number 34. If you are a student of the Gospels, you know that there are common themes between them all, especially between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Lord Jesus said some monumental things that all three of these writers were inspired to record for us. Well, Luke chapter 21 and Matthew chapter number 24 share a very common theme, and that is the theme of prophecy. Over and over again, the Lord spoke to his disciples about a coming day, a day that would take them unawares if they were not prepared for. And speaking over and over and over again about prophecy, he gave us warnings. Warnings come before danger. Warnings come before monumental events. And we find a warning that is woven into verse number 34 that I'd like to bring to your attention this morning. The Bible tells us in Luke 21 in verse number 34, if you have your place there, say amen. amen. Jesus said, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Now, if you were to casually read the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Luke and the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, you would immediately ascertain that these are when and then chapters. All the way through both of these chapters, Jesus said, when you see these things happening, then you can know that the end is near. Now, I remind you that the Lord Jesus told us that none of us could know the day and none of us could know the hour, but we certainly can get, get a scope of when the Lord's return is nearing by circumstances. And there are circumstances that will develop. We, we have this in form of prophecy. There are circumstances that will develop as the end draws near. Matter of fact, let me give you an example of that. Go back to verse number 20 of this same chapter, you'll see that terminology, when and then. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is not. He didn't say anything about Ukraine in that verse. He said, keep your eye on Jerusalem. And you'll notice in verse number 28, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption I like this, your redemption draweth nigh. Do you see the unbroken pattern? When and then, when and then. Go down to verse number 31. 
So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. So we can't know the day and we can't know the hours. Matter of fact, any preacher tells you he knows exactly when the Lord's coming, you go ahead and move him over into the category of apostates. You go ahead and move him over into the category of the false prophet. But the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus himself did not know the day. The angels did not know the day. Only his father knew the day. But he does issue us, and I feel this burning inside of me right now. I hope y'all listen to me for a few minutes this morning. He did tell us that we can ascertain the nearness of his coming by circumstances. And so our Lord is warning us of a coming day and he reminds us that certain realities will develop as that day draws near. No one should be ignorant of the imminence of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for preachers that remind us that his imminence, the return of, the, of Christ is imminent and yet still his return will come upon the world unaware. Matter of fact, Jesus warns us in verse number 34 that we as believers can lose our perception through three different realities. We may lose our perception of the coming day of Christ. He says to us at the end of verse number 34 that this day could come upon us unawares. So in, in other words, our Lord is preparing the disciples for the last times and he is inspiring both a looking and a longing. A looking and a longing. And the net of time is slowly closing on this dispensation of grace. And according to the words of the Lord Jesus, we can expect and watch for certain realities to develop right in front of us as that day nears. I don't have time to talk about all of this, but Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah. That's right. So should also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus takes us backward before he takes us forward. He said, if you want to know what it's going to be like just before I come, it's going to be like it was in the days of Genesis chapter number 6. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot. Boy, aren't we seeing those days rise, Brother Morgan. The days of Lot are returning. The days of Noah are returning. And we do best if we'll go backward before we go forward. We can go back to the book of Genesis so we can understand the book of Revelation. Jesus does that for us throughout this chapter, and I don't have time to get into all of the details of that, but I want you to focus with me on verse number 34. And take heed to yourselves. Now, that's a different aspect. He said, before you look ahead, look within. He said, if you want to know when my coming is near, you can not only look forward and look backward, but look inward. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. I want to preach a message this morning entitled with that word, overcharged. I was looking up this word, overcharged, in the dictionary, just trying to be faithful to study some words, and I found that it has two possible meanings. The first meaning of the word overcharged, according to secular dictionaries, means to, to charge someone too high of a price for a good or for, for a service. Thank you, Uncle Joe Biden. Boy, we feel the weight of that in this generation, don't we? I feel sorry for you folks that are on a fixed income. Boy, the Democrats are stealing from you in a grandiose way. And uh, I feel overcharged when I pull up to the gas station, don't you? 
I feel overcharged when my wife goes to Aldi's and comes back with less groceries for more money. I feel overcharged in April. Here it is. Oh my gosh, I don't even want to... I'm going to kill this meat until my tax season. But I feel overcharged. But that's not the word that is used here. A.T. Robertson said that this word means to be weighed down. Uh, the terminology overcharge means to be literally, A.T. Robertson said, it means to be depressed due to overload. Jesus said the closer, amen, y'all don't, don't die on me this morning. Jesus said the closer we get to the second coming, the more overcharged we're going to become. Back when I was in Bible college, of course, Brother Brown preached for me, Brother Gravely, we all were in Bible college together and Back when I was in Bible college, I worked for the Chevrolet dealership right there in Calhoun Service Chevrolet. And we were right in that time where they were changing from, from we were in college in the 1990s. That seems like ancient history now, doesn't it? But uh, uh, we, we, we were there when the Chevrolets were all changing body styles and they were changing the engines and they were changing the transmissions. And I, I worked in the, in the shop during that time and one of the common problems that technicians had to diagnose was an internal voltage regulator on the alternators of those new Tahoes and Suburbans. It was becoming a problem. The internal voltage regulator would fail and the alternator would send an unchecked, ungoverned charge into the battery because the regulator had failed. Well, that may not sound like a big deal to you, but... When those batteries are overcharged, they have a tendency to boil. They'll boil over. And when oxygen meets that acid, those batteries have the potential to, boom, blow sky high. I remember one day I opened up the hood on a Tahoe, a brand new 1999 Tahoe, and the battery blew up in my face. I had to go to the doctor, the emergency room, and get all that cleaned out of my eyes. That's what happened to my hair. No, that's not what happened to my hair. That's a lie. I used to have a head full of hair back when I was in Bible college. It had a big wave right in the front of it like the ocean. Now it's just the sand of the beach, amen. But when something that is, man, I hope y'all getting this. When something that is built for a certain amount of load becomes overcharged, it can die or it can just blow sky high. It can cause all kind of cataclysm in the engine compartment of a, char of a car when something becomes overcharged. We live in a generation where people are taking more on themselves than ever before in the history of our country. Y'all get anything out of this? All of this is by design. There was a day when we were not as busy as we are now, when we didn't have everybody else's business to mind. I appreciate everybody that said something about social media today, and I put a big exclamation point behind it. It needed to be said. We know to each other way too much. We're overcharged not only with our lives, but with everybody else's life that we're trying to live for them. May I say this to you this morning, that if you get overcharged, and I'm going to stay within my time limit, if you get overcharged, it can become a cataclysm 
in your life. Can I just say this? You say, preacher, how do I know if I've become overcharged? If you woke up this morning and you went through getting ready for church and you read your Bible and you had devotions with your family and you've sat through this service and you haven't yet thought about the second coming, you're overcharged. There are things in your life that have so crowded you that you have forgotten that Jesus Christ may come today. Did anybody notice how quiet it's getting in here besides me? If you've got so much going on with social media and so much going on with pastoring and so much going on with your job and so much going on that you're shuffling things around just trying to, just trying to plug the holes where you can and you go through day after day and week after week and forget that he's coming. You're overcharged. Number one. By the way, before I get to that, let me just say this. Do you know who Jesus spoke these words to? He spoke these words to his disciples. These are men. Is this making sense to anybody in here besides me? These are men that he gave power over demons. These are men that he gave power over disease. These are men that he gave power over distances. And these men, Jesus said, hey, fellas, you can get so busy casting out the demons. You can get so busy healing diseases. You can get so busy ministering. I'm telling you, preachers, you better hear me, and you better hear me well. You can get busy and get good at what you're doing and become overcharged with the very ministry that brings God glory, and you yourself can lose your perception of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Three ways in verse number 34. Here in verse number 34, Jesus gives us three categories of life that will potentially overcharge us. Number one, surfeiting. Surfeiting. I looked up this word surfeiting in the Thayer's Greek lexicon and I found it, it has amazing application to life. The word surfeiting in its root meaning can be traced back to physical problems. As a matter of fact, the word literally means we are so busy that we develop a headache. That's the idea behind the word. The idea is that we are so overwhelmed, we are so overcharged that it begins to, to seize our life with pains. In other words, it refers to the stresses of life that, are, that go through all of us and it brings us to a point of physical pain. It even has the implication of pressure. Uh, this word as it's used in various places gives us the idea that there's no room to the right, there's no room to the left, there's no room in front of us, there's no room behind us. We, we are boxed in. We can't go forward, we can't go backward, and there's no latitude right or left. We feel like life has crowded us so much that we have no movement. We can't breathe and nobody understands what we feel. You're overcharged. Some of you here today have taken on a whole lot more than what God intended you to take on. Some of you here today are raising your grandchildren. There are folks here today that, that you're dealing with situations that are so far beyond what God intended your life to be defined by that you just try to get up every morning and go to bed every night without failing and you never think... 
Christ could come today. Boy, it's getting quiet in here. You're overcharged. You're overcharged. I'm right in the context of this path. You are overcharged. When I think about when I think about pressure, I think about the lady who lives in Darlington, South Carolina. True story, I understand her name is Shelby Monroe. Shelby Monroe from Darlington, South Carolina has eight children. Except for a few interesting experiences in life, she pretty much lives her days just like every mother in America. She came home one afternoon and she walked into the house and uh, she was startled by a reality that was uncommon in her home. Everything was quiet. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When you walk in the house and there's eight kids in that house and nobody's saying anything and everything's quiet, you better find out what's going on. She put her two bags of groceries down on the countertop and she opened floor design. She looked through the kitchen and she saw her kids' heads in the middle of the living room in there and she, she wanted to know what, so she kind of sneaked up on them uh, a little bit and she, she, she walked into the living room and looked down and all of her children were sitting in a circle and they had five of the most beautiful baby skunks you've ever seen in all of your life. And when Shelby Monroe saw those skunks, she said, children, run! And five of the kids picked up a skunk and ran in five different directions. And she hollered again, and the children got nervous, and they started squeezing. Brother Jones, all of us country folks know that skunks don't like to be squeezed. Sometimes pressure... <laughs> You can make all you carnal people are already thinking about the jokes you're going to tell after this sermon is over with. Sometimes pressure can cause a stink. John Maxwell tells us that you, John Maxwell tells us that before you even leave your home in the morning time, most Americans will have to make 17 decisions before you even go to job. You'll make 17 decisions. And some of those decisions are completely inconsequential. But some of those decisions will determine whether you have a job this time next week. Some of those decisions will determine whether you have a marriage this time next year. Some of those decisions will determine whether you have a career in front of you. Decisions cross the path of our life every single day. And I'm telling you, I'm not, listen, I'm telling you from experience, you can take so much on yourself that you become overcharged. Number one, surfeiting. There's so much I need to leave out of the message, but let me say, first of all, be careful. Surfeiting will cause you to forget that the Lord is soon to return. Jesus said, watch for this reality. And aren't we seeing this happen? Number one, surfeiting. Number two, notice with me in verse number 34, just a little word study today, drunkenness. Boy, this is going to be on the recovering fundamentalist broadcast before it's over. Drunkenness. This word drunkenness in verse number 34 this is a, a simple terminology. It speaks of that which intoxicates us. The very root of the word drunkenness leads us, of course, to a literal understanding of intoxicated by alcohol. It's inebriation 
by something that we have taken into our system. But it is used here not just of alcoholic consumption. It's used here in a figurative sense by the Lord. It's referring to anything that can intoxicate you. In other words, there are some things that we commit ourselves to and we fall in love with and we, we, we tap into that so much that it becomes a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. And in and of itself, it may not be wrong. As the Apostle Paul would say to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 23, all things are lawful for me. Say amen right there. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. He said, all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Now, you're looking at a teetotal abstainer this morning. I don't believe you ought to drink any alcohol. But I know better. I preached long enough in this meeting to know that alcohol is not the problem here. I'm going to tell you what your problem is, is your cell phone. I'm going to tell you what your problem is, is your gaming console. Tell you what your problem is, is Fox News. I'm going to tell you what your problem is, is politics. You think so much about that stuff. You think so much about Facebook and Twitter and, and in, what is it, Instagram? I don't even know what this stuff is called. You think so much about that stuff that you don't think about the second coming. You're drunk on that. You've, you, you've got, that's got such a hold on your life that you're intoxicated by it. You're overcharged. You're overcharged. The drunkenness here may refer to anything that controls us. It's no wonder... And Pastor Brother Allen told us a hundred times if he told us one, if he told us five hundred times if he told us one time, be not drunk with wine, where is an excess? And the antithesis of that truth is be filled with the Spirit. Both have the capacity to control. Wine and its feeling can control us, or the Spirit and its feeling can control us. Not like the feeling of a glass, but more like the feeling of a sail. The Holy Spirit comes in not like it's alcohol. We don't get drunk on the Spirit and act like a bunch of hobos and act like a bunch of drunkards. What it means is like the wind fills a sail and directs that ship, hey, amen, into the direction God wants it to go. That's the Spirit filling. You can't have it both ways. You're either drunk with wine or you're filled with the Spirit, but you can't have both. Those are incompatible. And your problem is not liquor. Your problem is not beer. Well, I know this meeting well enough. You know Brother Gravely wouldn't have that crowd in here. I'll tell you what our problem is. All the things that we invest in, all the things that we fall in love with has overcharged us. Amen. Number three, we can be overcharged with surfeiting. We can be overcharged with drunkenness. We can be overcharged in verse number 34 with the cares of this life. This word cares is a neutral word. It doesn't mean that it's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just something that, that is out front of us. It's something that grabs our attention. As a matter of fact, I understand that this word cares 
was that it actually made its way out of the original language through the English language into the Latin, uh, through the uh, through the Latin language into the English language to have application to the word distractions. Distractions. When I was reading the other day from the book of Ephesians, I was I was thinking about the armor of the believer, and I came across those fiery darts of the wicked. I thought about those old cowboy movies. How many of y'all still like those old cowboy movies? Amen. That's about the only thing you can watch anymore. I like to watch a good cowboy flick. Inevitably, what would always happen is the Indians would be hard on the trail of those cowboys, and the cowboys are running. They're, those cowboys are riding hard with those covered wagons behind them, with their families behind them, trying to get away from the Indians. And inevitably, the Indians would catch up with that that pack of cowboys and their families and so the cowboys would circle the wagons and those Indians were smart enough to know that if they would dip that arrow into a fuel and set that arrow on fire they could draw that bow but they never would draw that bow and, and shoot that arrow at one of the cowboys they draw that bow and shoot that arrow at the canvas on that wagon you know why? Because the Indians were smart enough to know that cowboys can't fight fire and Indians at the same time. Those fiery darts are distractions. Y'all hearing me? The cares of this life. The cares of this life. When I think about this, I need to close. When I think about this, I think about an illustration that I read years ago that I thought I'd bring to the message today about the Golden Gate Bridge. In your mind, you may envision the Golden Gate Bridge today. Have you ever considered the engineering, the feat of engineering, the, the mind of man that made that bridge? What a structure. I'm told that engineers that built the Golden Gate Bridge took into account three loads to make sure that that bridge would not fail. First of all, when they engineered the Golden Gate Bridge, they had to take into consideration the dead load. The dead load of the Golden Gate Bridge is the steel, the cables, the asphalt, the concrete, the rivets. Everything that it takes to make that bridge what it is has to be taken in consideration. It's called the dead load. It's the load of the bridge itself. But then there's not only the dead load, there's the live load. That bridge was constructed for cars and semi-trucks to tra travel across. And you know as well as I do that the dead load is no good if it cannot carry the live load. And there are cars and families and commuters and business carried out across that bridge every single day in the Bay Area. The Golden Gate Bridge was made to bear up under the, under the dead load and under the live load. But then there's a third load that they had to take into consideration. That's the wind load. I don't know if you've ever been there in that, in that area where the Golden Gate Bridge is, but it can get extremely windy in a very, very fast way. And I have read, I don't know this, but I have read that the Golden Gate Bridge has enough flexibility, it has enough pliability to swing from 6 to 10 feet in either direction under the wind load. You hear that? They knew, oh my, they knew that if that bridge was going to hold up, it had to bear the dead load, the live load, and it had to have some flexibility. That's right. 
If it's going to stand, it has to have some pliability. Some of you are way too stringent. When's the last time you let the people around you come up for air? It's always a do and a don't. Hey, I'm going to tell you something, neighbor. I got as many standards as anybody in this building. I'm telling you something, friend. When you don't allow some flexibility in your life, when you don't allow some pliability in your life, you're going to fall. You may not fall under the dead load or the live load, but I'll guarantee you the wind load is coming. Overcharged. Overcharged. Let me ask you a question today. Did you get out of bed this morning thinking this may be the day that Jesus comes? Or were you too busy? You got way too much going on. And the second coming would be more like an interruption than a deliverance. The number one sign of worldliness in the church in this generation is we don't think about the second coming. If you don't think about the second coming often, you are worldly. Are you overcharged? Surfeiting? Drunkenness? The cares of this life? Pastor, Jesus said it'll be more and more like this as my coming nears. Let's pray. Father, use what we've said today for your glory, for your praise. We give you, the give you the glory for the message that you've given us. Help your people with it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Pastor has asked us to give an invitation. Let's stand together.